0: Our Holy Gospel today comes from the 7th chapter of Mark, beginning at verse 1. Glory to you, O Lord. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with Their lips but their hearts are far from me they worship me in vain their teachings are but rules taught by men you have to let go of the commands of God and are holding you have to let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men and again Jesus called the crowd to them and said listen to me everyone And understand this, nothing outside of a person can make that person unclean by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. He went on to say, For from within, out of man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils Come from inside and make a person unclean. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to uh, join me this morning as we begin our time of meditation together this morning with the uh, Holy Spirit prayer. So please, either silently or loud, join me as we pray. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit, who instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by that same Holy Spirit, we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. I almost feel as though I need to, I guess, make a disclaimer statement before I start today. I don't know. Kelly, you were here last night. Did you think my sermon was a little bit harsh? Did it kind of come across a little bit? You didn't think so? Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I thought it did. You know, and I'm going to I'm gonna make a couple of points today that are going to be pointed. And some of you are going to probably be offended by my pointedness. Or maybe it's your conscience that will be, I guess, disrupted for a moment. But you know what? You'll survive. You'll survive because there's been other preachers in the past who have made pointed comments and have perhaps touched a vein or touched something in you that stings a little bit but i guess that's my disclaimer statement in advance i suppose at first glance we could say there go those pharisees again being their persnickety selves being persistent about what we might consider to be trivial or minor matters in the overall scheme of things wash your hands before you eat does that sound familiar to any of you was that a Was that a phrase? Was that a tune that you heard growing up as a kid in your house? Wash your hands before you eat. Come inside the house and wash your hands. Go to the bathroom, wash your hands. We're going to have dinner now. The collective we, the collective we of the Christian church over the centuries have given the Pharisees a bad rap. I know that I have given the Pharisees a bad rap a lot. Um, The Pharisees are not some of my most favorite people in the Bible, And I think for most of you, the Pharisees are not necessarily some of the most fair, uh, because you know what—they were the Jesus challengers, and you know people who challenge Jesus—that doesn't always set well with me. I don't think it always sets well with you, Uh, but you know they were the challengers of of Jesus, and you know rightly so. Um, Let's not give them such a bad rap. Because when we think about the Pharisees, they were the guardians and the protectors of the Jewish religious order. All right? Prior to Jesus, that's what there was. There was this Jewish religious order. And they were the protectors of that. There were laws. There were practices. There were traditions to uphold and adhere to. And let's take a look again back at the context of their situation. Let's go back 2,000 years just for a moment. These first century Jewish people, they were living as an oppressed minority living in an occupied land. And in many respects, the occupiers of that land, they were a threat to their way of life, their century-old practices and traditions, religious laws and rights. And the Pharisees, all they were really trying to do was to maintain what was sacred to them. We can't fault them for that. And I suppose what it boils down to is their understanding of God and what it takes for a person or a religious community to live a righteous life in the eyes of God. That's what it really boils down to. And in many respects, it all makes perfect sense. But over time, over time, those traditions those practices those laws those rituals they actually eventually became a stumbling block and they became a determinant of who's in and who's out they were so stuck in their traditions and their practices and their rituals that is if you don't do these things you do not belong. and that became determinant of who's in and who's out. Their religion and their understanding of God and what it took to maintain a level of righteousness became a religion of exclusion rather than inclusion. I suppose you could say that their religion had become institutionalized. And institutions, we know, for the most part, have always been quite good at determining who's in and who's out. Had their religion become an institution rather than a community where relationships and people's needs were first and foremost? I think this is a reminder to us in our modern-day church life to consider and to reflect upon the ways in which we, too, in which we, too, perhaps, have become exclusionary in our traditions, in our practices, in our rites, in our liturgical practices, and, yes, even in our understanding of Scripture and who's in and who's out. You know the old saying, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? And the Lutherans respond, change? Change? How dare we consider change? My first call was to a congregation in Detroit, Michigan, and I had the privilege of serving under then Bishop Milt Risen. I think he was perhaps the best bishop I ever had the opportunity to serve under. And he said something that has stuck with me for the past 35 years, because it's so true. He said, one of the things that is the biggest hindrance to us Being the church is the tyranny of the tiny. Those tiny, little, insignificant things that we obsess about. Oh, we do it really well. We obsess about little things. Oh, that Bible has to be in that particular slot, in that particular pew. And, oh, by the way, I sit in that pew every single Sunday, and if anybody else ever sits in that pew, I will make sure that they know that that's my pew, and you are sitting in my pew! Does that really make a difference in the overall scheme of things? Are you really going to offend somebody and walk up to someone and say, oh, by the way, you're sitting in my pew. Scoot! Get out of my way! So I can sit here! The tyranny of the tiny, those little insty-bitsy things that mean absolutely nothing in the overall scheme of things, and yet that's what we obsess about in the church it causes division it causes bad feelings it gives us a sense of separation amongst ourselves not only amongst ourselves but also upon those who are attempting to become a part of us get out of my pew have i offended anybody yet i'm just getting warmed up no mistake about it when it comes to practicing our religion the church over the entirety of time and i'm talking about the total church i'm talking about church From the beginning of Jesus until today, okay? So let's look at it from that broad perspective. We as a church, we have gone to war over what it means. We have forced people into Christianity or else we kill you. We have done that in the name of Jesus over the period of history. We have literally forced people and said, Are you a Christian? If you are not, we are going to kill you. You join us or we kill you. We did that. In the name of Jesus, we have done some horrific things in the name of Jesus over the last 2,000 years. We have major league blundered when it comes to understanding what it means for us to live a pure and undefiled life as the Apostle James talks about. Where the things that are perhaps more important according to the Apostle James are taking care of the orphan and the widow and those who are in distress and the stranger and to look out for those who are not like us. Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter when he calls them out and says this people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me i am so thankful i am so thankful that god loved the world so much that he became one of us in the life and the person of jesus christ and that jesus in the life of jesus jesus brought the heart of god into the world and he taught us the way. But we have got it so wrong over all of these centuries. We have done some horrific, very bad, bad things in the name of Jesus over the past 2,000 years, even though Jesus brought the heart of God into the world. The question is, is the church and is the world still listening? Are we listening at all? And I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about the people of Lake Havasu, I'm talking about the people of Phoenix, Arizona, I'm talking about the people of the United States of America, I'm talking about are we listening at all to the heart of God? I mean, you know, okay, call me, call me, a, a, call me an, an altruist or call me an idealist or call me one of those utopian people, but what would this world be like if all of us had the heart of God as first and foremost in our lives? Yeah, we'd be living, we would be living in a utopia, wouldn't we? It'd be heaven on earth if we all had the heart of God in us and lived as if we had the heart of God in us. Now, don't get me wrong. And don't get Jesus wrong. Jesus did not condemn the need for procedure or ritual tradition or practice. What he does is that he draws attention to and he challenges the Pharisees, but he also challenges us. If we really believe that this is a living word, then Jesus also challenges us. In our modern-day church and faith life and he challenges us to be mindful of the ways in which our traditions our rituals our procedures and our practices get in the way of being inclusive Have i struck a chord with anybody yet anybody feeling offended yet jesus draws attention to the ways in which our practices and traditions hinder us from reaching out to others perhaps others that are not like us this is where It gets a little bit uncomfortable. Have you thought about the ways in which we as a congregation have drawn lines in the sand? Do we even dare speak of those lines in the sand? Do we even dare speak of those things out loud? And if we did, would it cause division? Probably would. If we did, would it cause a church to probably schism and leave and half half the congregation would leave? Probably. Would it make us think twice about how we determine who's in and who's out? Have we ever considered putting ourselves in the shoes of those who are outside looking in and wondering how we might be perceived by those who have not yet entered through the double doors of our sanctuary? Have we ever considered putting ourselves in the shoes of those people from the outside looking in and how they perceive us as not being a welcoming place for them? What is it about our Lutheran way that... These are just, I don't know if these are even worthy questions to ask, and I guess I'll let you be the determinant of that, but what is it about our Lutheran way of life that seems to be a hindrance to young families not flocking to our doors? Is that even a fair question to ask? Or has our society and our culture just become so anti-church, so anti-God, so I can live and I can do it myself and I can i don't i don't need god in my life so therefore i don't need to bring my children to church and to teach them about the ways of god's heart is that how bad it's got that families don't even consider the possibility of coming to church anymore because it's not that important to them why is it that the lutheran denomination has struggled to attract people of color or people whose language is other than english we've done a lousy job at that what other lines in the sand are there do we dare speak them Where is the prophetic voice? I think pastors attempt to be a prophetic voice. We keep at it, and maybe somebody will hear. As I've reflected on this passage before us today, it does as I have said just a few moments ago. It boils down, it really boils down to our understanding of God and God's redemptive, reconciling work through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It all boils down to our understanding of who Jesus is, And what Jesus came here to teach us and to show us and I believe that Jesus came here to show us God's heart and from everything that I know about God's heart God's heart is wide God's heart is expansive God's heart is beyond our comprehension and from what I have come to know and to believe about God's heart is that God's heart is generous it's gracious it's filled with hospitality and compassion and god's heart is inclusive that generosity that graciousness has come into us it actually lives in us right now jesus promised us that through the gift of the holy spirit that jesus abides in us that god's heart is in us And it makes it possible for our life to be a life of faith that is life-giving. And yet, here's the thing, folks. We live in a paradox. Luther got it right when he said that we are simultaneously sinner and saint. We have tremendous capacity. We have overwhelming capacity for good, and yet we also have overwhelming capacity for evil to come out of us and jesus reminds us again today it is what comes out of a person that makes them unclean thanks be to god for a person like deb thomas who offers us today these words for consideration she wrote jesus gives his listeners this advice it's advice well according to according according to deb it's advice so take it as advice notice what comes out of you notice what fruit your adherence to tradition bears does your version of holiness lead to hospitality does your version of holiness lead to conclusion does your version of holiness lead to freedom does it cause your heart to open wide with compassion does it lead other people to feel loved and welcomed at god's table does it make you brave creative and joyless joyful does it prepare your mind and your body for a god who is always doing something fresh and new We pray this same prayer every single Sunday. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Today is another invitation for us to listen to the heart of God. And the heart of God has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, tradition, ritual, and practices have their place in the faith community. Lest they become a stumbling block and a hindrance to being inclusive, lest they serve as a detriment and a determinant of who's in and who's out. May our hearts be open to the generosity of God, and may it come out of us in what we say and what we do. Amen. I invite you to pray, pray with me now, the prayer our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven,